I'm Dan Kernut. I'm a retired pastor, and I was asked by our pastor, Sergey, if I would preach this Sunday because Sergey and his family are in Chicago for a celebration of Zoya's wedding. So, yes. And that's why Josh and Andrew have the Shekinah glory of, of God on their faces today. Because they went up to that wedding and then took a day outside and got sunburned. But we're excited that Sergey could be with his family up there and they could celebrate this wedding. That's an awesome thing. So when he comes back next week, you'll see a glow about him that only a father whose daughter just got married can have. And this is Father's Day, so that's kind of a good thing. Our sermon series this summer is when the Lord makes a list. And when Sergey called me and said, could you preach on the 18th? I said, absolutely. I was excited. He says, well, here's the list of possible subjects. Pick one. And David's mighty men jumped out at me, and I said, I want to preach that one. What a mistake. I have known for over three weeks I was going to preach this. It should be an awesome sermon. <laughs> Keep that in mind. <laughs> the term should be. Karen will tell you that I spent hours yesterday morning manuscripting my sermon. At about 12.30, I came off of the porch. I walked into the house, and she said, is the sermon done? I said, absolutely. I just threw it out. I've never had so much trouble. I've been contemplating this. I even told Dave Greiner last Sunday the whole sermon, didn't I, Dave? Yeah. yeah. He can come up here and finish for me. But it just goes to show you that God at times has his own thought about what we should do with Scripture, which should be the case since he wrote it. And sometimes man gets in the way. Thank you very much. Appreciate that check, because I agree with it completely. When the Lord makes a list, our scripture today is going to be David's mighty men. If you would stand and join me, we're going to read out of 1 Chronicles chapter 11, starting at verse 10. And I forgot to look up the page number in your pew Bible. 323. Oh, 343. Well, 23 might be fun, too. Now, these are the chiefs of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in his kingdom, together with all Israel, to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. This is an account of David's mighty men. Jashobim, a Hakmonite, was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 300 whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Don't make fun of his name. The son of Dodo, the Ahoite. He was with David at Pastamen when the Philistines were gathered there for battle. 
There was a plot of ground full of barley, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and killed the Philistines. And the Lord, and the Lord saved them by a great victory. Three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock to David at the cave of Adalam when the army of the Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephim. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, oh, that someone, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord. And he said, far be it from me before me at the risk of their lives. Uh, excuse me. Far be it from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the lifeblood of these men? For at the risk of their lives, they brought it. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things did the three mighty men. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of the 30. And he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander. But he did not attain to the three. And Beniah, the son of Jehoiadad, was a valiant man of Kazel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two heroes of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. The Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam. But Benaniah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the 30, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. The mighty men were uh, Ashel, the brother of Joab, Elhanna, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shamoth of Herod, Helaz, the Pelonite, Ira, the son of Ikesh of Tekoa, Abiezar of Anathos, Sibeka, the Hushanite, Liah, the Aholite, Maharai of Nethalah, Hile, the son of Benai of Nethophah, Ital, the son of Rabbi of Gibeah, of the people of Benjamin, Benaiah of Pirathon, Hurai of the brook of Gash, Abiel the Erbathite, Amazeth of Barhalun, Elihapa the Shalonite, Hashim the Gizanite, Jonathan the son of Shaggy the Herite, Ahim the son of Sakar the Herarite, Eliphah the son of Ur, Helfer of Methacrite, Ahai the Pelonite, Hezra of Carmel, Nari the son of Ezbi, Joel the brother of Nathan, 
Mibar, the son of Hagrai, Zelak, the Ammonite, Nathara of Beroth, the armor bearer of Joab, the son of Zeruai, Ira, the Ithrite, Gerab, the Ithrite, Uriah, the Hittite, Saba, the son of Ahlai, Adonai, the son of Shaisa, the Rebunite, a leader of the Rebunites, and 30 with him, Hannah, the son of Mahah, and Jehoshaphat, the Mithonite, Uzziah, the Ashtarthite, Shammah and Jael, the sons of Hotham, the Aroite, Jedidiah, the son of Shimri, and Joaz, his brother, the Tizite, Eliah, the Mahavite, and Jerabai, and Jehoaphai, the sons of Elnam, and Itham, the Moabite, Eli, and Obed, and Jesiel, the Mezeber. May God add a blessing to this poor reading of his word. <laughs> you may be seated. Allison, I hope you took note of those names. I'm sure there is one there for your son. We will look forward to hearing what you come up with. You're laughing over there. You know, think about it. These are names that made it into the Bible. These are important names. I'm sure you were spellbound as I read these names. Or you were laughing and thinking, I am glad it's him reading them and not me. It's interesting that this list is in the Bible. But what's even more interesting is the list isn't here only. It's also at the end of 2 Samuel. God sought to put this list in the Bible twice. Should that make us stop and take note? I would think so. You might still be asking yourself, so what's the reason I need to know this list of names? Good question. Your next question is, will knowing this list of names make any difference in my life? It will if Allison names her child after one of them. But the answer would be yes. It does make a difference to know because God includes a list for a specific reason. And it's not just a list here in the Bible. History and literature gives us lists of important people and things. King Arthur and the Round Table. Can anybody name the rest of the knights of the Round Table? No? What kind of education are you getting at school? The homeschoolers back there, can't you tell me? How about this? Robin Hood and his merry men. We can come up with a couple of names, but can you tell me all of them? No. Are they important? Depends on your opinion of what they did. How about Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee? Do those names ring a bell? If you read good literature, yes. Samwise, in my opinion, is the epitome of courage, strength, and loyalty. Tolkien did a great job in painting a picture. But we have this list before us today. 
and it's the list we're going to focus on. David's mighty men. I have a simple four-point outline that I hope will encourage us as we think through this scripture. The four points being warriors, loyalty, David's character, and David's failure. The sermon in a sentence is we are warriors for Christ. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this. Today is Father's Day where we celebrate and honor our fathers. Now, it's not just a man thing that we have this particular holiday. Last month, we celebrated mothers. Personally, I think this is a Hallmark holiday so that they can sell more greeting cards. Did you buy a card? They're $5 each now. That's ridiculous. Get a paper and a crayon and make your own. When God created the heavens and the earth, he also created all living things on land, in the sea, and in the air. And he also created man and woman, man to subdue the earth, and women as a helpmate for man. And I can attest that women are a good helpmate for man. My wife wrote me a note just before I walked up here. Don't forget to dismiss the kids. Thank you, dear. I probably would have forgotten. You see, helpmates are awesome. And God knew that men were going to need a helpmate. So we have two genders. And I want to make some generalizations about the difference. Now, before you decide to hang me up by my thumbs, just listen. I said generalizations. Okay? Women are often thought of as nurturers. True? Men, well, men are thought of as many things, but men are often thought of as protectors, providers, warriors. Now, it doesn't mean that men aren't also nurturers, but that is a general attribute given to women. They nurture their children from birth through toddler, through grade school, through teenage years, bless them for that. And then they turn them loose on the world. Fathers have some input, but mothers have the main job there. But overall, when we think of men, we have a tendency to think of warriors, our first inclination when we think about the male gender. Why is that? I think it's often because men want to feel that they are strong, that they are able. Now, after the fall, sin entered our world. And soon after sin entered our world, violence entered our world. We have the story of Cain and Abel. One brother murders the other in violence is sown into our DNA, in a sense. Ever since then, there has been battle, war, murder, strife. 
So warriors have become a vital part of the landscape of history. Kings needed warriors to help them protect their kingdoms from invaders. Our sermon today isn't to justify nations having a king, but it starts out with that aspect of the nation of Israel saying to God, we want a king. And God said, you have me. Samuel reminded the people of that. But in 1 Samuel 8, we read that the people of Israel rejected Samuel's proclamation that Yahweh is their king. And so in verse 18, we read, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. When Samuel tells God about this, God's response is, obey the voice of the people and make them a king. God lets us wallow in our folly. And this was a big one. The people rejected Yahweh as their king and wanted an earthly king. So in chapter 9, we find of Samuel that Saul is chosen to be that king. And God has Samuel anoint Saul as king. And after the anointing, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 26, Saul also went home at Gibeah. Now, it's interesting. He gets anointed king and immediately goes home. Now, one of the things as you read through Samuel, you'll find out that when they went to anoint him as king, where was Saul? He was hiding. If they were going to make you president of the United States, would you go hide? I should have known. Maybe it would be better to say, if they made me president of the United States, would you go hide? Yes, and for right reason. But Saul was hiding. They had to go track him down. They had to bring him out, and they made him king. And as soon as they made him king, it says everybody went home, including Saul. He goes home to Gibeah. Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 10, 26. But then it says, and with him went men of valor to attend to and serve the king. Men of valor. And as it further goes on, it says, men of valor whose hearts God had touched. God appoints men of valor to go with the king, to serve and to protect. So the first king of Israel, we see, was touched by God and was given men of valor. Now David is being anointed king, and we get a list of 30-plus men who are called David's mighty men. Between this reading and in the end of 2 Samuel, we have 37 names that come to light, these men that joined David. And these men are somewhat amazing. Did you pick up on that as I was reading this? These men are somewhat amazing. Now the chiefs of David's mighty men who gave him strong support in the kingdom, together with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. This is an account 
of David's mighty men. Jehoiabim, a Hakmonite, was chief of the three. He wielded a spear against 300 men whom he killed at one time. That seems a little much, doesn't it? 300? Really? I just found that a little hard to believe. Next among the mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite. He was with David at Padamin when the Philistines were gathered there for battle. There was a plot of ground full of barley, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and killed the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great victory. Really? This is a guy that's going to be with David. That's quite a feat. And it goes on from that, and we hear all kinds of things. And I have to tell you, when I read some of this, I thought, not a chance. Because in Samuel, when he talks about the mighty men, when he talks about Jehoiakim, or Jehoiabim, he said he killed 800 men. And I'm like, okay, 300 men, 800 men. I stood in the plot and I killed all the Philistines that came and I defended the plot. How many people? This can't really be true, can it? It got me to thinking. And I wanted to validate that the Bible isn't just blowing things up and giving us hyperbole, but that the Bible is accurate. And so I went to the internet. Don't you go to the internet when you have questions? But I went to the internet and I typed in the search engine, Medal of Honor. And there are many sites that come up on Medal of Honor. Over 3,500 men and one woman have received the Congressional Medal of Honor for heroism above and beyond. Sites will give you their stories and I'll have to tell you, this was probably part of my problem. For three weeks, I've been reading these stories, person after person, and just totally, totally taken by what I read. And I realized as I read that, that Scripture is not blowing things out of proportion. That there are warriors who have done amazing things. One of the stories is that of Audie Murphy, a name that many of you will recognize. As a young second lieutenant in the Army at the age of 19, he showed extreme heroism in battle. In December 1945, as German troops were sweeping through Europe, Murphy and his unit were ordered to hold the line against a German assault. His M10 tank destroyer was hit and burst into flames. Murphy ordered his troops to fall back. Alone, he covered their retreat, and he held off the Germans by mounting the burning tank killer, taking the 50 caliber machine gun, and while shooting, calling in artillery strikes. His position was attacked on three sides 
by six enemy tanks and waves of infantry. Wounded and out of ammunition, he returned to his company. He refused medical treatment because he said they need to be led. And he organized a successful counterattack. His citation for the Medal of Honor reads, for an hour the Germans tried every available weapon to eliminate Second Lieutenant Murphy, but he continued to hold his position. That's just one of the 3,500 plus stories. I was amazed. That's why I could take four hours right now to keep going because of the different stories. But it validated the fact that scripture is laying out for us these men of valor, these mighty warriors, and the fact that their feats, while they seem unbelievable to us, are true. Do you agree that the word of God is true? Do you agree that it is right, that there is no error? then you understand that this is not a lie. These mighty men came to serve. Now, one of the things I thought about as I was reading about these mighty men was the word loyalty. And that's the second point of our outline. Loyalty. Warriors are a loyal group of men. I don't know if you've ever been around them, but they rally around a leader. And they will do just about anything for that leader. Did you catch it in here when David is just being attacked by the army of the Philistines who are camped against him? And he's in the stronghold and he says longingly, verse 17, David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. He just longingly says that. And three men heard him. And they fought through the line of the Philistines and they went into Bethlehem, which the Philistines held. And they went to the well by the gate and they got a glass of water and they brought it back to David and they brought it to him. And what does it say David did? He poured it out. If you were one of those guys, would you be angry? You just risked your life to get the guy a drink and he pours it on the ground? Not really, because what he says is, far be it from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the lifeblood of these men? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore I will not drink it. The things of these mighty men, he poured it out as a drink offering before the Lord because he fully understood while they did that for him, they truly were serving God. They were serving Yahweh because you see those mighty warriors weren't just there for David. Remember it said God touched their hearts to be with the kings. God put it on their hearts to do these things. 
Loyalty is not just a trait for military people. It can be said for all kinds of teams. I worked with a team of missionaries for 22 years. And I can tell you that no better people on the face of the earth had I ever met. I loved working with those folks. We did a lot of things. Again, I could tell you stories for hours. But it was a team, and it was a leader that brought us together. A leader who said to my youth group, I need people to teach Bible club. And at 15 years of age, I said, I'll do that to go into the inner city of Los Angeles and teach Bible club. This man not only took me and 30 other high school students, but he discipled me. He spent time with me. And when I graduated high school, he invited me to be on staff. I was the number three staff person for the organization. And he moved me into the inner city by myself. Thank you very much. I don't always forgive him for that. But others came along, and we served, and we led children and teenagers and adults to Christ. And we served a mighty God. And there was a loyalty among our team. There was a desire to serve not only our leader, but to serve God. Now, I was never in the military, so I don't fully understand some of the aspects of warriors in that regard. Some of you in here have been in the military, and you may understand that. You may understand that there's a bond that comes. Well, a second group of people that I served with was the Wichita Police Department. I served as a volunteer chaplain. Wow, did I learn a lot about what it means to be part of a group of warriors. You see, most chaplains, you just delivered emergency medical notifications or death notifications to the people in your city when trouble happens. So if somebody died in a car accident, the chaplain would go out and let the family know. Wonderful duty. Karen used to call it the pager of death because when the pager went off, she knew nine out of 10 times somebody had died. But I took it a little step further. I said, well, do I also get to ride with the officers? And they said, well, no chaplain's really ever done that. I said, well, I want to do that. I want to get to know these men and women. And so I got to ride with them. And I got to have fun with them. When friends used to ask Karen if she and I wanted to come over on a Friday night, she used to say, well, Dan's not available Friday night. Why not? Well, you know, most people watch cops on TV. He's out playing it with his friends. Because I would go down and ride with the officers. I thought if I'm to be a chaplain, I need to get to know them. A lady in my church said, would you find my brother, Terry, who's with the Wichita Police Department, and would you reach out to him? He needs to come back to the Lord. Terry was known as the most aggressive officer 
in the department. He, uh, he was gruff. He was tough. He was not somebody you wanted to cross. And I told Angie, I'll, I'll look for your brother. This ought to be fun. He was the detective on a major case squad that was called the Scat Team. All they did was drive around town and wait for calls to come out about gunfights or knifings or whatever, and they would go to those. They picked what they called the cream of the calls. Well, I wasn't with them. I was with another officer, and we were coming on a house, and there came this car off of this house that we knew was a drug house, and Carlos says, let's take them. Okay. He fires up the lights. We take off after this car. It takes off. It turns down a dead-end street down by the train yards. And it goes flying down that road, and we're flying right behind him, and Carlos is on the radio, and he's calling for help. And we're getting there, and the car screeches to a halt, and we screech to a halt. And Carlos says, let's go, chaplain. You take the shotgun. Okay. And we step out, and I hear him calling for backup because we really are on our own. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice say, Carlos, is that you? This is over the radio. And he says, yeah. It's Terry and my team. Tell that guy that's with you to put that gun down. They were undercover, and they'd been out trying to get these guys from the stash home, and so when we took off after them, they thought it was going to look great to show them as undercover because they thought they'll see them chasing us. And I'll never forget, this was Terry. This was Angie's brother, and he walked right up to me, and he says, Sir, you ever point a gun at me again, you better be ready to use it. And I said, Don't worry, I will. That was not the right thing to say to Terry. And he kind of snickered and he walked off. Well, later he wanted to know who I was and I told him, look, your sister Angie wanted me to look you up. He says, you know my sister Angie? I says, yeah. And your nephew Brian really wants me to spend time with you. And Terry looked at me and said, you know Brian? Yeah. Brian was Down syndrome. Brian's a special kid. And he had a very soft spot in Terry's heart because Terry watched people ignore Brian. And when he asked Brian about Chaplin, Brian said, he's cool. So they invited me to ride with him. And Karen will tell you, I rode with these men and I learned a lot about warriors for this man because one of the things he said to me when we first got in the car is he says, you are always considered backup when you're with us, but I don't trust you. I don't know you. I don't trust you. Later on, a few weeks later, we were shot at. And there's something that happens when you get shot at. And Terry and Jeff started running toward the gunfire. And like a fool, I ran after him. And when all was said and done, Terry turned around and he took me by the shoulders and he said, now I trust you. Good job. And for years, he and I rode together. 
and I learned what being a warrior was. It was a fellowship of people. I have gone on, but it's Father's Day, so I'm going to tell you my Father's Day story. I'm only a father still in this sense that my son, Ryan, is sitting up here. My son, Ryan, for all intents and purposes, might not have been here. Because one night, Ryan got held up at gunpoint while we lived in Wichita. I was out of town. I was in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at a church conference. And the next day, someone told me that there were two emergency messages on the board for me. And I went to the board, and I pulled them off. One was from Karen, and one was from Terry, my officer friend. Which one did I open first? I opened Terry's first. And I opened it, and he said, your son's fine. Everything's okay. I opened Karen's. Call me. Well, it turns out that Ryan, getting robbed at gunpoint, the patrol officers who came and started to take his message do what they normally do. They asked for his name. And Ryan can correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the officers said, Kernut, that's an unusual name. Does your dad happen to be a chaplain? And Ryan said, yeah. And the officer turned and he got on his radio, and the next thing Ryan knows, a bunch of guys show up. It was Terry and Jeff and the rest of his squad. And they got information, and within a few minutes, they had gone out and they brought the kid back, right? The one that had robbed Ryan, they already had him. They brought him back. And what Terry told me was, we made sure that that kid and his friends knew, you don't mess with our chaplain's boy. That's loyalty. But it's camaraderie. It's team. These men are that for David. They will do anything for their king. They will protect him. They will keep track of him. They will guide him. They will follow him. They will have his back. You don't mess with our king, is what they would say. The next point on your outline is David's character. Why would these men follow David? Well, one, they knew that he was anointed to become the next king because of Samuel. They knew that it had been said of him, he is a man after God's heart. God says that about David. He's a man after my heart. They knew that he was a shepherd and that he understood what it meant to have a flock and to protect it and to guide it and to nourish it. They knew he was a warrior himself. They may have been part of the group that stood around and watched him square off against Goliath. You've heard that story in Sunday school. It's a great children's story. How tall was Goliath? He was massive. And David tried to put on, Saul tried to put on David his armor and tell David, you can go out and do this. And David couldn't even move. So he abandons the armor and he says, I don't need the armor. I have God on my side. And he picks up a stone and takes his sling and he goes out. And when Goliath comes out and derides Israel and the God of Israel, what's David do? 
He stands up for God and says, you do not blaspheme Yahweh. And he takes that rock and he flings it at Goliath and does the unbelievable, he kills him. These men knew that David was a warrior. David's also a loyal friend. Think of his relationship with Jonathan, the son of Saul. David and Jonathan had a great friendship. And David was loyal to Jonathan, and Jonathan was loyal to David. David also had a sense of honor and duty. He refused to harm King Saul, whom he sees as God's anointed. Remember, he's in a cave. He's hiding. And Saul comes in to relieve himself. And his buddies say, now's your chance. Run him through. And David says, how could it be that I would harm God's anointed. He has a sense of honor and duty. He also has a sense of gentleness and kindness. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 to 8, it tells us of David's kindness to Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. After Saul and Jonathan and all of Saul's family is dead, David finds one of the servants of Saul and says, is there anyone left of Saul's family? And he says, yeah, there's a son of Jonathan's, Methibosheth. Hard to say that name. He's crippled. Now, many people thought David wanted to know because it was a custom in their cultures at that time that if you overthrew a king, you killed the whole family. You annihilated them all because if you left anybody living, they might come after you. And so I'm sure that that servant thought he's asking because he wants to be sure that the line is wiped out. And he tells David, and David says, bring him. And when they bring him, it says Mephibosheth fell down before David. Well, he is crippled, but also that's a statement that says, I know why I'm here. But David says, because of my friendship with your father, Jonathan, I want you to come live in the palace with me and eat at my table all the time, and I'm restoring to you all of Saul and Jonathan's property, land, and servants. I will protect you. Kindness, gentleness. Bear with me for a couple of minutes because I want to tie this back into Sergei's last two sermons. He brought us the list of the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. King Saul gives us a great example of the deeds of the flesh. King Saul was anointed as king at God's directive, but King Saul abandoned his walk with God and the deeds of the flesh overtook him Anger and malice and jealousy. 
You read that list of the deeds of the flesh, and there is King Saul right there. He is so jealous of David because the song saying, Saul may have killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands, and Saul is jealous, and he's angered, and there's dissension, and you go right through that list. Then Sergei preached the next sermon on the fruit of the Spirit, and we look at David, and we find that fruit, a man who's walking by the Spirit, a man after God's own heart, a man who is a shepherd, a man who is a loyal friend, a man who is gentle, a man who is kind, a man who is meek. And this is why I struggled with this sermon, because I wanted to take another tangent that says, do you understand that warriors are not gruff, aggressive people? The majority of them are meek and humble. Go read that list of the stories of those who have received the Medal of Honor, and then pull up old Dave Letterman shows, and he has one man, Dakota, who after receiving the Medal of Honor is on Letterman's show, and Letterman asked him, why did you do what you did? And he says, it was my duty. They were my friends. I loved them. I would do anything for them. Not the things you expected to hear, but a humble statement of, I did my duty. That's who these men are that are serving David, who are serving the others. And they serve David because of loyalty, because of humility, because of the fruits of the Spirit in their own lives. And they are following David because they want to serve him and serve Yahweh. And then there's the last point on your outline. David's failure. We all love King David. We all have great stories of King David. But if we turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, we find David's failure. The deeds of the flesh raise their ugly head. And in the season when kings would take their armies out to do battle, 2 Samuel tells us, King David sent the army out, but he stayed back in the palace. And while he's in the palace, he goes up on the parapet walls, and he's looking out over the city, and what does he spy? Bathsheba. And the deeds of the flesh take hold. And David sins. I read the list out of First Chronicles, but my son said he had heard a great sermon once, and the man did the list out of Samuel. And in Samuel, the list goes through all the names, and the very last verse says, and Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite is one of David's mighty men, and David turns his back on Uriah, calls Joab and says, send me Uriah, and when Uriah comes, Uriah won't go home because why should he sleep in his home and be with his wife while his 
friends, his buddies, his mighty warriors are out at war. I won't do that, so I will sleep at the door of the palace where I can protect the king. And David calls him in and says, why didn't you go home? And he gives David an answer about loyalty that's unbelievable. He says, how could I do that while the rest of your army is out fighting a battle? More honorable than David because David sends him back with a note for Joab. And he says to Joab, put Uriah at the front of the battle. And when it's at its worst, pull everybody back away from him that he may fall in battle. Sin is compounded. Is that a leader you want to follow? Nowadays, many, many leaders are falling. The man who discipled me fell. The man who had brought 200-plus missionaries to service, fell. I was devastated when that happened until I realized, with the help of a friend, I serve a risen Savior. I serve a risen King. I serve the Lord. I don't serve man. Men will fail us, men will fall, but we're called to be warriors. We're called to serve the king. Scripture tells us that God calls us. Jesus said, I have chosen you. Read through the last half of the Gospel of John and you will find so many places. In John 15, 16, Jesus' words are, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He further told us, I must go to my Father. Because if I go to my Father, then he can send you the Holy Spirit. And if I go, I will come back again for you. But in the meantime, you have the Holy Spirit. And I have chosen you, O people of valor, to be my warriors in this battle with Satan and to take the gospel message to the ends of the earth. That's your task. That's what you're called to do. And God is making another list. It's called the Book of Life. Is your name in that book? Is your name on that list? It's an important question. Why do we read a list of mighty warriors? Because Jesus said, I chose you. 
and appointed you that you should take my message. I want to put your name on another list, the book of life, and I want you to serve me. Christ is a worthy leader whom we serve. He will never betray us. He will never leave us. We have this assurance in his words. He has paved the way for God the Father to send the Holy Spirit so that we have the authority and the power to do the work that he's called us to. It's not our strength. It's not our power. It's his working through us. Do you believe that? What do mighty warriors do? They usually yell loudly before rushing into battle. Should we leave church this morning with a loud shout? Come on, let's practice it. For God in the gospel. Let's go. Let's do this. We're his. He's ours. We serve a risen Savior. In a few moments, we will come to the table to take communion. Here at Chatham, we observe an open table. What this means is that if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to join us to participate in communion, whether you're a member or not. If you do not yet know Jesus, Craig and Becky are up here. They would love to share with you during this time and tell you about Jesus and help you come to know him. If you just need some prayer, they're also up here to pray with you. As we take communion, there's communion down here at front. Or if you're up in the balcony, it's up at the ends of the balcony and you can get communion there. Or there are prepackaged kits out in the foyer. Or if you need to, just raise your hand and an elder will be happy to bring communion to you. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Pray with me. Father, it was an interesting section of Scripture that we looked at today. A list of names that... I couldn't even read and pronounce and do justice to. But you know each and every one of those men. You know their hearts, and that's why you touched their hearts to serve both King Saul and then King David. And then Jesus reaffirms that for us when he came, and he says, I have chosen you. I have touched you, and I am sending, the Father is sending the Holy Spirit to you that you may have power and authority to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, to Samaria, 
and to the ends of the earth. We are his chosen warriors. He has picked us because we are people of valor. He's given us what we need to be able to serve him. He has given us his word. He has given us his courage and his strength. And he shed his blood to pay for our sins so that we can stand purified and holy before God our Father. Come now and participate in remembrance of the Lord's sacrifice for us. Amen.